Good morning. Uh, welcome to our church, Living Stone Calvary Chapel. I'm glad that you guys are, are here this morning with us. And uh, man, it's been some beautiful fall weather, hasn't it? Amen. Um, there's a, some announcements there in the bulletin I want to bring your attention. The first one has to do with the flyer that you got when you came in um, with a, a ministry organization called Hands of the Potter that are going to be coming here to share a special message on October 26th. It's our Wednesday evening service at 6.30 p.m. Um, we'll have a regular time of, of, of praise and worship, and then following that, um, Dennis is going to uh, take us through a passage of the book of Jeremiah about being clay in the hands of the potter, and he's going to be up front here with a potter's wheel and some clay and some different things and give us really a graphic illustration of what that means and how we are the to be in the hands of God, malleable and and, 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 and to let God form our lives as he sees fit. So um, it's an opportunity to come if you don't usually come on a Wednesday night and, and to be a part of what goes on here, but also an opportunity to invite uh, other people to come and, and uh, enjoy this with us. So please do so. Uh, a ladies' craft and brunch, we mentioned that. There is a sign-up sheet there now at the, bold, at the information counter. You can sign up for that. That's November 5th at 9.30 here. Uh, brunch and ladies' craft. Uh, and then there's some information there regarding our youth facility downtown that we're in the process of constructing. We did set an actual date for a ground opening now. And so December 2nd or 3rd? December 3rd, Saturday, December 3rd is going to be Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, Lord willing, that uh, we'll be able to have all the construction done, the permitting signed off on, um, and... Um, we're making good progress down there. If you ever want to stop by, um, there's usually somebody down there during the day working. You can come and check and see it. It's at 310 Main Street. Um, and there's some lists there uh, for some, some different things to let you know what's going on. But also, we're meeting now regularly on Friday evenings from 6 to 7 just to kind of keep updated as volunteers and to go through the process of being prepared uh, by entering into prayer together for the work that God's going to be doing down there in and through us. So uh, please, if you've, if you've found interest in that and you know that God's calling you to serve down there, don't wait until we're open to, to, to get involved. There's volunteer packets and information that you need to know, and Friday nights at 6 is really the opportunity to just start to get plugged in. Uh, if you wish to know more information about that, Justin and Lori, Justin is our worship leader and his wife Lori, they're the directors of the, the, the Bridge Youth Center downtown. So uh, also, pleased to let you know this, um, and I, I do want to give a little bit of background information. A lot of you guys were here, some of you weren't, some, um, actually a lot of you weren't, but um, one of the ways that this church got started was uh, Livingstone Calvary Chapel is uh, 10 years ago there was... I think it was a little over 10 years now, but there were two Calvary chapels in this little town of Canyon City, Colorado. And, and by the leading of God, um, our two churches uh, merged together and became one. And, I, and that's normally not what you hear. You usually hear about churches dividing and becoming two or three or whatever. Uh, we merged together and became one. And we all prayed, both of the boards, the all the ministry heads, and even the, me, who was a senior pastor of uh, Calvary Canyon City, and a guy by the name of Dustin Whitson, who was the senior pastor of Royal Gorge 
um, Calvary Chapel, and we, we just begin to pray to see what God would do in that. And we sought counsel and advice, and the truth is, is we, couldn't, we never ran into anybody else who had ever gone through the process of merging two churches together. But God was in it, and um, through that process, I, I remained the senior pastor, and Dustin Whitson took over as the associate, and um, we came together, and God's done a wonderful thing. We moved into this building shortly thereafter, and um, uh, about four years after that, Dustin and his wife moved to uh, Utah, and they planted a church there. Ever since then, we've been without an associate pastor, and, and for no other reason than um, we've just been waiting on God to provide. Here at Calvary Chapel, we don't, believe about, we don't really believe in assigning a person to a position. We believe that we recognize the work that God's already done in a person, and, and we, we invite them to step into that role by giving them a title of the work that they're already doing. I mean, the example of that is seen in the book of Acts where the apostles you know, prayerfully considered about who to raise up as deacons, and they already chose those men who were serving, men who were filled with the Spirit of God, and 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 they called upon those men to to step into the to to step into that title of the role that they were already doing, that the work God had already done in them. And I say all of that because, um, as you guys know, uh, Curtis Shockey, he truly has been an associate pastor to me and to our fellowship. And as the board and elders have been prayerfully considering this over the last years, it became evident uh, several months ago that this is what we needed to do. We needed to, uh, for the sake of the fellowship and, and for the work that God was doing, we needed to ordain Curtis and recognize him formally as the associate pastor of our church. That is going to take place next week, Sunday, October 26th at 6.30 p.m., we're going to have an ordination ceremony. Uh, we're going to lay hands on him, and we're going to pray for him. Um, we're going to sign a certificate, <laughs> and um, uh, we're going to have coffee and dessert afterwards. And so I would encourage you to come and be a part of that, to recognize the work that God's done in Curtis's life and, and the blessing that he is to our fellowship. And uh, if you'd mark your calendars and do that, that would be really cool. Also, this morning... We get this opportunity. I get the opportunity to do a really cool thing. That's why I have the tie on today. Everybody's all, it's not Communion Sunday. Why do you have the tie on? <laughs> Who died? <laughs> and um, I, I also wear a tie occasionally when it comes time to be able to do a baby dedication. And I get that opportunity again this morning. And um, with that, I want to invite uh, Caitlin and Kathy and PJ and Mason to come on up. No, you get to come up here with me. Yeah. How are you? Either one. You doing good? You need to go to class? I'll hurry up, okay? <laughs> he loves his Sunday school class. Um. Come on, closer. It's it is my privilege to be able to stand up here with these ladies and with these young men, and to stand before you all, to uh, once again have this honor of dedicating uh, children to the Lord. And um, this is done this morning as a double blessing because I get to do two children um, for Caitlin, both of her boys, Peter John, we call him PJ, and Mason Michael, and. Um, 
most of you heard me say this, but each time I get this opportunity to dedicate a, 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 a young man or, or a child, I'm reminded of the miracle of life. Life is a miracle. And I'm also reminded of the goodness of God. But more importantly, we should all be reminded of the miracle of new life that is found for those of us who have and will put our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And in Psalm 127, it speaks about the blessing of life and the miracle and, uh, of children. And it tells us, it says in Psalm 127, children are a blessing, a gift from the Lord. And even though raising uh, children is one of the most challenging things that a person will ever do, <laughs> It's by far, and you know too, huh? Yeah. This is Kathy's daughter. <laughs> um, even though it's one of the most difficult things you'll ever do, you guys know it's by far the most rewarding thing this side of eternity. And Caitlin has made this decision to dedicate both of her sons to God this morning because she's a follower of Jesus Christ. And she believes that doing things God's way is the best. And by dedicating Peter and Mason to God, she's publicly committing to raising them in a way that God says is best. And um, I'm distracted. He's going to eat me. <laughs> and it's done, it's done before us all so that we might partner. That we may, as a family, come alongside her in encouragement and prayer and counsel uh, to, to, to help her in this commitment that she's making. Now, this word dedicate that we use, it really means to be set aside for a purpose, to keep sacredly separate and given over completely to God. And in the Bible, there are many examples of children being um, dedicated to God. And one of the most notable was with, with the prophet Samuel, who was dedicated to God by his mother Hannah. And Hannah and her husband had tried for many years to have children, as you guys know, but Hannah could not. Um, she was barren. She couldn't conceive, and she was very sad. And yet, in answer to Hannah's prayers for a son, and, and in light of her promise to dedicate that son back to God, if God would bless her with a child, Hannah conceived and gave birth to the great prophet Samuel. So, in fulfillment to the promise that Hannah had made, she in turn dedicated, she took she took her son to the temple and dedicated him back to God. And we know that God used Samuel as a great leader of the Hebrew people and as a great prophet of God. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, we're also told that even Jesus, as an infant child, in accordance to the Jewish customs, was taken to the temple by his mother and father in order to be dedicated to the Lord, to God. And we know that Jesus had been sent by God, and we know that he'd also been set apart by God for the purpose of redeeming us from our sins and from eternal death. The point to all of this is, is that like Caitlin, Hannah and Mary knew that their sons were gifts from God, and that they had been entrusted with these gifts and what they needed to do was to keep them sacredly separate from the world and given over to God. And how much more so has that become made known to us today and just the darkness and the evil that's in the world that our, that our children have no place in this world, none. And we must protect them from them and given over to God. And Caitlin, she knows. She knows that at least most of the time they feel like it, huh? Those feel like a blessing. But th they are. They're a blessing. And she knows this, that Peter and Mason are a blessing. Also gifts from God. And therefore she is wanting to set them apart to God. She literally wants to keep them sacredly separate 
from the world and given to God, and she's committing to raising these young men in accordance to the commands that are found in God's Word and committing to teaching them about our Savior, Jesus, who's died for our sins. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, parents, they're instructed to teach their children about God and about His commands at all times. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, it says this. It says, Remember this, the Lord and the Lord alone is our God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And never forget these commands that I am giving you today. Teach them to your children. Remember that when you are, remember them when you are at home. Remember them when you are away. When you are resting and when you are working. He says, tie them as a sign of remembrance on your arms and wear them on your forehead as a reminder and write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. In other words, never forget. And in light of this, in light of this decision that Caitlin has made to dedicate her, 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 her sons to God, it's done in consideration of these commands. And like I've already briefly mentioned, it's done publicly, openly, in front of us all so that we may come alongside her. Guys, seriously, with our prayers, with our encouragement, to lift them up, to hold them up, and to hold Caitlin and, and accountable for the promises that she's about to make. And so Caitlin, as God's steward, who understands that Peter and Mason are both gifts from God that you have been entrusted with, I ask you, do you promise to raise Peter and Mason in accordance to God's statutes, and in accordance to God's commands. Do you promise to teach Peter, Mason, Peter and Mason about God's word, which reveals God's will for their lives? And do you promise to teach Peter and Mason about the love that God has for them, and about God's son Jesus who came to die for their sins? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Caitlin and for Kathy and for Peter and for Mason, we thank you, God, for their love for you, their devotion to you, and how they're an encouragement and inspiration to us. I pray, God, that you would fill Caitlin with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that she may have um, your power, your wisdom, your strength, Lord, to raise these two boys to grow up to be godly men. We pray for these boys, God, that your divine will and purpose would be made known to them through their mom and through their grandma. We pray, God, that you would protect them from this world, from anybody or anything or anyone that wants to do them harm. God, we know that you have a great plan, a great future, and a great hope for all of them. And we pray, God, that you would bring these things to pass. Lord, we trust in you and we call upon you and we place these boys back in your hands, Lord, knowing that they truly are yours and they're a gift. They're on loan. And so as stewards, as Kathy and Caitlin stand up here representing stewardship, that you've called them to. I pray, God, that you would help them to be faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys give them a round? There's a couple of certificates for you. Yes, you can go to your class now. Bye, PJ. All right, guys, why don't you open up your Bible with me to the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter, where are we at? 18. Genesis chapter 18. And uh, if you've been here with us for a while, you know that we study the Bible verse by verse. 
chapter by chapter, and we began uh, several months ago uh, at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we've been progressing through until where we are at today in Genesis chapter 18. And I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 15, if you'll follow along with me. It says in verse 1, it says, Then the Lord appeared to him, speaking of Abraham, by the terebinth trees of Mamre. He was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, and so he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing with him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant, but, verse 4, let a little water be brought. And wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried, verse 6, to the tent, into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, and gave it to young man, and, ha- and he hastened to prepare it. And so he took butter and milk, and the calf which he had prepared, and he set it before them. And then he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, Here, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old in age, very, very well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Verse 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did. You did laugh. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this opportunity this morning to gather together in your name, to be here with your people, to sing of your praises, to worship you, to be recentered and refocused truly, God, on the reason why you've called us and saved us and redeemed us and forgiven us. And so, Lord, as we study your word and reflect upon the truths that are spoken here and are directed to reevaluate our own relationship with you today. I pray, God, that you would search us and know us and you would reveal to us, God, those areas where we've grown cold, where we've drifted away, where we've compromised, where we've allowed for things in, God, that don't honor you and don't glorify you. I pray, Lord, that you would teach us by your Spirit that I would just be that vessel in your hands speaking your truth. I pray, God, that you would Bless us, and you would reveal yourself to us again today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, last week, when we were in the previous chapter, chapter 17, we remember that we read how the Lord had appeared to Abraham um, and had started off by declaring to him a name, saying, I am the Almighty God, the all-powerful God, the all-sufficient one. And we went into detail about what that meant, but we also went into detail and looked at that in doing so, when God came to Abram, Abraham and, 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 and made that statement about who he was, that God was affirming to Abram, who had then at that time reached the age, the old age of 99, he was affirming to him the promise that he had made to provide for him an heir through his wife Sarah, a son of promise. God was making sure and affirming to Abraham that he knew that his promise that he had made was still good. In light of this, God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means the father of a multitude. And likewise, he changed at that time his wife's name from Sarai, which means contentious, to Sarah, which means a princess. And the Lord declared that she would be the mother of kings. And she also said that um, he would make Abraham a father of many nations. Furthermore, God told Abraham that the covenant that he was establishing, that it would be an everlasting covenant, saying that it would extend on down to all of Abraham's descendants, all of his generations. Yet, even as God spoke all of these assurances, saying, I will, or I have, I will, and I have, over and over and over again, we read back in verse 9 that God also spoke to Abraham in light of these things and said, as for you. God said, I will, but Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant and be circumcised as a sign of the covenant between me and you. And having, having received this affirming word from God, we know that Abraham then responded in faith. And he, along with all the other males in his household, were circumcised that very same day, we are told. Now, we don't know how much time had passed from the end of chapter 17 until the verses that the things, the events that we read here now in chapter chapter 18. We don't know how much time has passed before the Lord reappeared to Abraham, but we do know from what we read here that when the Lord came this time, we know that he was on a mission. We didn't read the rest of the verses, and maybe we'll get to him this morning, maybe it'll be next week, but he was on a mission. And, and, and as he was on this mission, there were specifically two things that he needed Abraham to know. The first was that Sarah would give birth to a son at an appointed time. Okay, God was narrowing this down for Abraham and Sarah to an appointed time. Before the Lord would return. And he was also, the thing that he needed Abraham to know was that he was on his way to judge and destroy the wicked people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, when we consider these things, follow this with me, when we consider these things, the reason for, for, for why God had come to Abraham and wanted him to know these things, it's important for us to look deeper than the messages, the message of the judgment and destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and the, the reaffirmation or the message again of an appointed time now for, for, the, 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 for, for we know, Isaac to, to have been born. We need to look deeper than the message and into the reasons for why God would come at this time and give Abraham this information. Why? 
Why did God want Abraham to know these things? And when it came to the message about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, or at least specifically of Sodom, we know that Abraham had a connection to this city, don't we? We know that he had a connection to this city through his nephew Lot, who was now living within the city gates, behind the walls of Sodom, with the people of Sodom. And so we know that Abraham would be interested in what God was going to do there, especially in light of the fact that God was going to destroy it. He had family there. Someone who he cared about. Someone who he was concerned about. Somebody who we know from a few chapters ago would even go to battle and fight for. To rescue. But when it came to the message of Sarah giving birth to a son, it might seem a little redundant on God's part to come and speak the same message that he had been, that had been promised. And, and because it has been affirmed, it had been affirmed multiple times now over the last 25 years from the time when God first had spoken that promise. However, when we read of Sarah's response here in verse 13 of laughter and words of doubt, we see and understand that there were still issues of unbelief. Still issues of unbelief that God was dealing with and God was bringing these things to light. Nevertheless, the even deeper reason for why God came to Abraham and spoke these things was due to the fact that Abraham was God's friend. Remember, we spoke about that a little bit last week. Abraham was God's friend, and, and, and multiple times in the Word of God, Abraham is given that title, the friend of God. First in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, then again in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, and then in the New Testament also in James chapter 2, verse 23. And, and I point that out because the thing about friends is that friends share their lives with one another. And they talk about what they are doing and what they are planning on doing. And so we see this true also with God and Abraham. Abraham was God's friend. And God was making Noah's will, his plan, his purposes. He was sharing things with him, with his friend. Things he would not share with people or someone who was not his friend. And in light of this, we need to remember that Jesus, in John chapter 11, verse 11, also calls those of us who believe on him, those of us who have put our faith in him and obey him, he says, he calls us his friends. And as his friends, we too share in his love. We share in, in fellowship with him. And like Abraham, we can also know God's will and God's plans and purposes, not only for our lives, for with what he's going to do in this world that we're living in. But we must not forget that the friendship that we have with God, and, and truly all friendships, whether it's in the marital relationship, or, or among church believers, or, or, or among people that are outside uh, uh, of the family of God, we, we need to keep in mind that true friendship involves ministry. Meaning, True friendship is the act of giving. True friendship, friendship is the act of serving. True friendship is the act of loving another person. It's not about what the other person can do for us. Friendships are entered into going, oh, what can that person do for me? That's not true friendship. That's not a godly friendship. And in a true friendship, truly, each person is looking out for uh, looking out and how they might be a blessing to the other person. 
That's what true friendships are. And in the Bible, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, it says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Likewise, in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, it says, A friend loves at all times. And I point these things out because in this chapter we see Abraham, the friend of God, okay, ministering to God, serving God, being a friend, a true friend we see in three different areas to the Lord, or three different areas. First, it's in his relationship to the Lord. Second, it's in, his, it's, it's in relationship to his wife and those who are in his household. And, and what we'll probably truthfully only get to next week when we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, we see Abraham being a friend to the lost world. So, as we look at these first verses that we read, which document this encounter with the Lord, I think it's important for us to see what Abraham did for his friend. That's the context around what we're reading here. Because as we see what Abraham had done for his friend, it offers up a godly example for us to follow. But I also want to point out, as we read through the rest of this chapter, we need to keep in mind that all ministry, guys, all ministry that we do must first be to the Lord. For if we fail to be a blessing to God, if we fail to be a blessing or a friend of the Lord, we'll never be a blessing to anyone else around us. In other words, if our relationship with God is not right, then our relationship with others will not be right. No matter what that relationship is. In the workplace, in the marriage relationship, among the body of believers that God's called us to, if you want our relationships, if you want your relationship to be right with others, it first must be right with God. It's this way, and then it's right this way. And we see that here with Abraham. This is why the Apostle Paul writes to us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23-24, through 24, in, in regards to this right relationship with God. He said, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember the first time I was ever confronted with this verse. It was when I was in Washington State. I was working at a car dealership. And we had this service manager named Larry. And um, I'm telling you what, guys. You, you, don't, you did not want to know me before I was a believer. I was a brand new believer. And I was one of the service managers. And he was, he, this guy was not a good manager. I'll just tell you that. And, and as a matter of fact, I was such a knucklehead that my name for him was Lazy Larry. And I was so disrespectful, I was so rude, I was such a punk and an and, 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 and unloving person that I, I, would, I would tell him this to his face. And, the, and part of the reason why I did that is because my, my numbers for sales there in the service department were so much better than anybody else's. And I was so prideful that I knew that they couldn't fire me, that I knew that they wouldn't get rid of me. And there was times I would even get on the intercom and say, and this is in a huge dealership, and say, Larry, Lazy Larry, call on whatever. But as I began to give my life to the Lord and God began to convict me about these things, I really struggled with who this guy was and how could I give respect to this man that just didn't deserve respect. And I remember sharing with one of the guys at the church, and, and he brought me to this verse. 
Colossians 3, verses 23 through 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not to men, for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what truly was going on is I did not know how to do this relationship here and make it right because I was looking at the person and I wasn't first concerned about this relationship here between me and God. And when, a, when, that, when that man, that godly man, pointed that out to me, he said, listen, he said, if you want this relationship to be right here, you don't have to struggle with who you are or even who he is. You just have to worry about your relationship with God. Do your job as unto the Lord, heartily. And when you do that, then this relationship here will be right. And man, it was so true. Even though I had these feelings in my heart, I was dealing with this guy, God, uh, God really dealt with me. I was the issue. Larry wasn't the problem. Sean was the problem. And when I made that right with God, when I began to make my work about serving the Lord and doing it unto, unto God, then things here began to be right. You know the cool thing about it? Is not only did I not stop, I started to stop calling him Lazy Larry, but I, I, had a, I began to have a respect for this guy because of my relationship with God, and, and he noticed a difference. I changed. I became like God, not like Sean. So with these things in mind, the first thing that we need to take note of here in verse 2, where we are told that as Abraham was sitting in the door of his tent during the middle of the day of the heat, we see that he lifted his eyes, and when he lifted his eyes, Abraham saw his Lord. Now, the cool thing about that is, is when he saw his Lord, he sitting in this door of his tent in the, in the heat of the day, probably there taking rest, finding some coolness underneath the shades of the trees there, is he rose up and he ran to meet him and he bowed down before the Lord is what we're told. Now, don't forget, Abraham at this point is 99 years old. That's what we know. He's 99. And he probably wasn't in the custom of running very much at this point in his life. Furthermore, as we're being told that Abraham was in the door of his tent, like I said, in the heat of the day, he was resting. He's probably taking a siesta, maybe a nap, kicking back, you know, and enjoying the, the afternoon sun, not really wanting to be out there working or with his herds or with his, his servants doing whatever. He was resting. Maybe he had just finished eating himself. Yet by this act of running from the tent door, we see that he was excited, Right? That was full of joy. You ever had an, someone who you like unexpectedly show up? <laughs> I guess you've got to qualify that as like. You'd be like, wow, you're here. Or you see somebody in the, off in the distance that you haven't seen in a long time, perhaps at the grocery store, and, 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 and you're, just, you're filled with joy, you're excited, you rush over. How you doing? How you been? I haven't seen you forever. It's been a long time. That's what's going on here. Abraham notices as he looks up and he sees the Lord. He's full of excitement. He's full of joy. And it was the opportunity to have fellowship with his Lord that caused him to stand and to run and to offer the Lord to come and spend some time with him. He was excited. And the fact of the matter is, guys, as I look at this and I consider this in regards to our own relationship, our own friendship with God, the fact of the matter is, is we have all so much more opportunity to have fellowship with our Lord than Abraham ever did. Considering the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, is always with us, lives inside of us, and, and, and through Jesus Christ, it's been made possible for us to have fellowship with God anytime we like. Anytime we like. Yet how often do we take time just to lift up our eyes and to see the Lord throughout our day? 
How often do we take time and set it aside to purpose to spend time with our Lord who's always there? Or how often do we allow for God to interrupt our day in order to spend time in His presence? I think if we're all honest, we would admit that we would admit to taking our friendship with God and our accessibility to God for granted at times, at least on some level. And perhaps we've even lost our excitement for hanging out with Jesus. And we see it as something that we have to do rather than something that we want to do. It's the morning, i got to get up, read my Bible, spend some time with God, because that's what a Christian's supposed to do before they start their day, right? Yet in doing so, we take for granted what an awesome privilege we've been given to have fellowship with God, the Creator of the universe, the Lord Almighty, any time we like. This was not the case for Abraham. This 99-year-old man who rose in the heat of the day to run and meet his Lord in this same joy and excitement uh, that in this in the same joy and excitement that Abraham examples, it was also spoken about by King David, who said in Psalm eighty-four, verse ten, "One day spent in your temple is better than a thousand days anywhere else." Think of your most favorite place to be in the mountains, on the beach, at home in bed, at Disneyland for some of you crazy people. Think about that. A thousand days in your most happy place, David says. One day spent in your temple, in your presence, God. Just one day is better than a thousand days anywhere. You know what? Because the Old Testament saints did not have the accessibility into the presence of God like we do today, they were grieved in their heart when God departed from them. Grieved. And in Psalm 51, verse 11, David expressed this saying. He said, do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Holy Spirit would come upon the men of God, empower them, equip them, and they'd experience the presence of God. But like the Holy Spirit came, the Holy Spirit would leave. And there would be this time of separation where the Old Testament saints didn't always live in the presence of God. They didn't have the accessibility to God like we do today. And they were grieved in those moments. Now the other thing that we're told about here in verses 2 and 3 is that once Abraham reached the Lord, we've seen that he bowed himself to the ground. And certainly this was an act of worship as Abraham was giving honor to the Lord. And, and, and it was a demonstration or he was demonstrating humility and submission. And the same attitude is expressed in the words that Abraham spoke when he spoke when he asked the Lord to stay, when he invited him to stay, so that he might serve him, saying, "If I have found favor in your in your sight, Lord, please stay, rest for a while, have a morsel of bread, wash your feet." And once again, this is a godly example for us to follow, and it raises the question of what is our attitude like when we come before the Lord? What is our attitude like? When we come before the Lord. In other words, when we come before God, is it only because we want something for Him or we want Him to do something for us? Or do we come with a bowed heart full of worship to ask God, what is it that you want from us? Or what is it that we might do for you? An act of true friendship. 
Not seen in what we can get, but what we can give. How we can love. How we can serve the Lord. Or rather than a heart that's filled with praise and worship, do we come with a heart that is full of complaint and ungrateful for the things that God has done for us or freely given to us. You know, this is not to say, guys, this is not to say that we should not come before God with our requests or in our time of need because the Word of God commands us to do so. We should. God says, come to me. He says, you have not because you ask not. He says, make your request known to me. And, and God, who's a loving Father, wants us to do this. But guys, this cannot be the only time that we come before the Lord. Furthermore, when we come, whenever we come, and, and whatever our reason is for coming before the Lord, it has to be with the same attitude, with the same humility and submission that Abraham exampled, where we bow ourselves before, the God, before God, even when we're making a request, going and go, Lord, your will be done, not my own. Whatever you want, you know what's best. For in that is humility and submission to God. And we see this reflected in the way that Abraham invited the Lord to not pass but to stay with him a little while so that he might be refreshed. And in doing so, we see this. We see that God, the Lord, was willing. He was wanting to spend time with his friend, with Abraham. And in doing so, verse 6, it tells us that Abraham then responded. I love all these adjectives, these descriptive words and how he did so. Did so. You know, he hurried, he ran. He was excited to go ahead and invest this time in this effort. And so he hurried into his tent and he asked his wife to prepare these fine cakes. And then in verse 7, it says, Then he ran to his herd and he personally, we see here, he chose a tender and a good calf for a young man to prepare. And when the bread was baked and the meat was roasted, he, re- he, he, he took these things along with butter and milk and he laid them out he set them before the Lord. And then he stood by them as they ate, meaning he waited on them. He waited on them as an honored guest, waiting to provide whatever else they may want or might need. You see, the point in all of this, in, this, in, these, this, in light of this, is that Abraham, we see that even though Abraham said, come and just have a morsel of bread, we see that truly what he did is he prepared a feast for his friend. I like to cook. I even like to bake. I'll admit it. Some of you make fun of me. God will forgive you. I might not, but God will. But I like to bake, and I like to cook. Partially, mostly because I like to eat good food. But I love to to do that and have other people enjoy the food that I've made. I receive a joy out of that. And and I imagine that Abraham did as well as he put this feast before his Lord, before his friend. And in all this, what I see is that as, as Abraham and his family labored to do this, as they did this, there was, there's, there's, a, there's a cool example because what I see, what I don't see, is I don't see Abraham serving the Lord his leftovers. I like leftovers, I'll have to admit that. But if you come over to my house, I don't want to serve you leftovers. You probably don't want to eat leftovers. Abraham didn't serve the Lord his leftovers. In fact, we see that, 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 that all of these things that Abraham provided for his friend, for his Lord, were the very best that Abraham had to offer. And once again, we see that Abraham's example of generosity 
is a good one for us to follow. And even though this is something that we are probably all aware of, the fact of the matter is is that God does not deserve our leftovers, guys. God does not deserve our leftovers. However, if I'm completely honest with you, I have to say, I have to admit that many times it is my leftovers that I have given to God. Meaning I often bring to God what's left over of my time. Or I give to God that which is not my best. Things do not things that, that don't come as a great cost to me or something that, that does not cause me to sacrifice. Yet, it's made really clear to us both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that genuine ministry to God or to any other person that God calls us to, that genuine ministry cannot be done without sacrifice. Genuine ministry, genuine friendship cannot be without sacrifice. And a humbling example of this is told in Matthew chapter 26 where we read about the woman who had poured out the entire flask, the alabaster flask of, of, of costly oil on the head of Jesus. She was ridiculed. But yet she gave Jesus the best that she had. Also in Luke chapter 21, when Jesus tells about the widow who had put the two mites, the two pennies in the, in, the, in the temple treasury, and he said in doing so that she gave from her poverty, her poverty, putting in everything that she had. You see, the point is, is that God wants and God deserves our very best. The Bible often says it like this. He says, it's, it's the first of all of our fruits. And the truth is, is when we give the best of ourselves, of our time, or from the best of what we have, it is a clear reflection on how we feel about the person we are giving these things to. Is it not? And in 2 Samuel chapter 24, there's this conversation between King David, a man by the name of Arunah, that further examples this right attitude that we should have, this right attitude represented by Abraham, by the things that he did that needs to be in our hearts as we fellowship, as we commune with God, as we minister and sit down with Him. And in chapter 24, verse 21, starting in 21, it says, Then Arununa said, Why has my Lord the King come to His servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now, Ariuna said to David, let, let the Lord my king take and offer up what seems good to him. Look, here are the oxen for the burnt sacrifice and the threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. All of these, O king, Aruna has given to the king. And, the, and, and, and Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. Then the king David, King David said to Aruna, no, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God which, which, with that which costs me nothing. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Where is our heart? The way we serve the Lord reflect? The time that we spend, the things that we give, does it reflect that friendship 
that ministry. As we move on and look to verse 9, guys, with me, in time that we have left here, we're told that as Abraham stood waiting on the Lord, the Lord then asked about Abraham's wife, Sarah, who was remaining there in the tent. And in doing so, the Lord once again spoke to Abraham, telling him this, saying that Sarah was going to give him a son, and, and, and that this time he, was, he, he said it was going to happen within a set amount of time. What we're being told there is that it's within the year. But as we look into this, it should first be seen through the lens, through this lens of Abraham who was being a blessing to God. And because of this, because Abraham was being a blessing to God, a friend to God, that this relationship was right with him and God, then Abraham was then made by God to be a blessing to others, to his wife, to his family. In other words, because Abraham was faithful to the Lord, he became a channel of blessing to his wife and eventually to his whole family. And I'm telling you what, men, that's the greatest thing that we can ever give to our wives or to our children is to our families to make sure that this relationship with God is right. And when this relationship with God is right, our relationship with God is right, God's going to use us. He's going to work in us and he's going to work through us and he's going to bless others and it's going to start in our own home, in our own household, with our wives and with our children. And how awesome is that to be that instrument in God's hand where, where God is blessing your wife and where God is blessing your children through you. This is the, the context in what we read here and going on with Abraham. In other words, because Abraham was faithful to the Lord, he became this channel of blessing to his wife. And so with this being said, I want to point out that in no way it diminishes the fact that Sarah had an important role to play also her own responsibility in working out God's plan of salvation for the world. And, and this is documented multiple times about Sarah's faithfulness and her role and the importance of it in Hebrews 11, 11, which I read last week. But also you can look in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, where it also accounts that. Again, in Romans chapter 4, verses 18-21. through 21. And it tells us in all those things that Sarah did her part. However, here we read that when Sarah overheard the Lord speaking to Abraham about the son that she was going to have, she was at this time 89 years old. Abraham 99 her 89. And like Abraham who had previously doubted in the chapter that we read before this, and he too even laughed when God told him to expect a son at his previous visit, we so too here see that Sarah laughed. She did so on the inside when she heard these seemingly impossible things or this incredible news. But even though her doubt was la and laughing was contained on the inside, verse 13 makes it clear to us that God was fully aware of what was going on inside Sarah's heart. That's kind, of, that's kind of creepy. In light of this, we should be reminded of the fact that God is able to see into each one of our hearts. And not only is He able to see into each one of our hearts, what this means and what we see here is that God knows exactly what we're feeling and exactly what we're thinking and in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, it tells us, it says, as, Samuel was, as the Lord was speaking to Samuel about choosing David for the king, he says, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, God, looks at the heart. He sees into the heart. And the truth is, when we begin to think about this, it can be an overwhelming thing for us to consider. Why? Because we've all done things and thought things that we wish no one ever saw, or no one ever heard. And when we realize that God has seen it, or that God has heard it, heard it he, we might think things like God wants to smite us. 
or that God will, will no longer want to have anything to do with us. Yet, when we see here in the text how God was merciful towards Sarah even after she lied or denied her laughing and her unbelief, we should be assured that God will deal with us in the same merciful manner even though He knows exactly what we are like. The Bible tells us that He chose us while we were still in our mother's womb. We didn't, even, we, didn't, we didn't give Him a reason to choose us or to not choose us. He chose us because of who He is. And He's merciful and gracious. And I love passages of Scripture. Justin, you and the worship team can come up. We're going we're gonna to wrap it up with this. But I love Scriptures like Psalm 103. Which, which reminds us of God's knowledge and God's understanding of what we're like and, and how he, he interacts with us appropriately knowing us. It's just like us, guys, as parents. We know what our kids are like, right? We know. We know their strengths. We know their weaknesses. We know their faults. We know their failures, their shortcomings. Likewise, God knows us in, in the same way, and He deals with us in a loving and merciful and gracious manner. And in Psalm 103, verse 14, it says, For God knows how we are formed, and He remembers that we are dust, but dust. And again, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 15, it says, Since we have this great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we, pro- we profess. Why, he says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. And these things should remind us of how there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God and nothing that can separate us from God's will for our lives. That's so important because sometimes you may go, I know that God still loves me, but look, at I messed it up. I've ruined it. It's not redeemable. But we see that when the Lord responded to Sarah in verse 14 with this rhetorical question, we see that, that nothing is impossible for God. And the Lord responded to Sarah just simply saying, is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for me? Is there anything too great for me? And we see that even though Sarah was doubting God's will, or, or even though Sarah was doubting God, His will for her life regarding the son of promise, a son by the name of Isaac, would still be born to her and through her. And the fact of the matter is, is there's nothing too great for our Lord. And the truth is, is God revealed this fact to many other men in the Bible. Listen, men like Job, who said in Job chapter 42, verse 2, I know, Job said, that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Likewise, the prophet Jeremiah declared in chapter 32, verses 17 through 18, he said, he said, ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth and your great power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing that is too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of fathers in the bosom of their children, the great and the mighty God whose name is the Lord of hosts. And guys, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament also wrote similar things in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. And he said, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in him. 
or work, excuse me, according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, I know, I know this, guys, because this is exactly what I think. And I know this is what some of you think. You see, often we don't doubt God's ability to do the incredible, to do the miraculous, to do the impossible, to bring good from evil, to redeem people's lives, and to bring forth His will no matter what. We often don't doubt that God can do this, but we often doubt His willingness to do the miraculous, the redeeming for us or through us. We go, God, I know God can do that for you, but God knows me. And we doubt that God will do it for us. But the message this morning is is that there's nothing too great for your God. Not your sin, not your fault, not your failure. There's nothing too great. He is greater, and He is willing, and He wants all of us to come to Him and to live in His presence, to, 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 to spend that time as friends with Him, allowing Him to work in us and through us and bringing forth His perfect will into this world. Father, I thank You, God, for this time. I thank You for this encouragement and this reminder, God, that um, truly You never leave us, You never forsake us. God, that You're going to bring forth Your perfect will into our lives and into this world in spite of us. God, that You never give up on us. You always hold on to us. God, even when we laugh or deny You see into our hearts and you know, and yet you're merciful and gracious. I pray, God, that we would follow Abraham's example here and see, God, that you are truly our friend and you call us friend. God, that we would serve you and honor you and love you and bow down before you. God, that we would seek to be in that relationship with you, that we would have excitement and joy to spend time with you. And God, if there's anyone here this morning that's lost that, excitement and that joy. I pray, God, that they would return to you as a first love, and that you would renew them this morning, that joy and excitement that they once had. I pray, God, that we would go from this place filled with your Spirit, renewed, God, by you, strengthened by you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys stand